The Start. On Demand. demand. Brett McGarry of Mackling and McGarry. Shadow Davis Show on 680 CJOB. Greg Mackling off until 2018. We will be reunited on Wednesday. He is in on Tuesday, and then I'm off on Tuesday. And then it's business as usual as of Wednesday, January 3rd. Not business as usual right now for the Winnipeg Jets. It's a good news, bad news scenario for the Winnipeg Jets, our our professional ice hockey team in the North American Ice Hockey League, as I like to say. Jets victorious last night, 4-3 over the Edmonton Oilers. So that's good. But Winnipeg's Mark Scheifele went down with an injury, an upper body injury, and the early word is that it's not good. So Kelly Moore will have details on that coming up at 625 in 680 CJOB Sports, along with Canada's young squadron of ice hockey warriors laying waste to Slovakia, 6-0 at the World Juniors. So you get all the details on that stuff at 625 in 680 CJOB Sports. And something else that Kelly passed along to me here about beloved Maple Leafs goaltender Johnny Bauer, who is known for more than his ability to stop opposition pucks. In 1965, he cut a children's Christmas record called Honky the Christmas Goose. It's about a wild goose that ate so much that it couldn't fly, but in the end it was able to save Santa Claus. Here's some of that. Honky, honky the Christmas goose Got so fat that he was no use Till he learned how to blow his nose Honk the way a goose nose blows After that and just... So this record went on to sell tens of thousands of copies. Johnny Bauer with Little John and the Rinky Dinks singing... Singing Honky the Christmas Goose. Now, Nickelback frontman Chad Kroger says he and Bauer shared tales of their recording experiences when they were both inducted into the Canadian Walk of Fame in 2007. He was telling us last night that he actually got pulled in to do a Christmas album. Way back, they grabbed a bunch of the hockey boys and they went in and they recorded an album and they actually sold 40,000 copies. And he said, I would rather, with no mask, Stand in front of a puck than a microphone any day of the week. And I said, well, we can, definitely, uh, we can definitely trade on that one. Bauer died yesterday at age 93. By the way, I'm just tr- we're, Jerry and I are trying to figure out if there's something going on, if it's with the barometric pressure or what. Because I went to bed yesterday. Well, as soon as I got home yesterday afternoon, I sat down in my living room chair and, and fell asleep immediately. Almost instantaneously for about an hour. And then I woke up with a start, you know, that kind of, you know, that sort of where you look, you look around, what's going on? That sort of panic wake up. Where am I? Who am I? <laughs> exactly. So then I stayed up until 6.30, 7 o'clock, went to bed at 7 o'clock, lights out, woke up at uh, 1.30. It was like I hadn't slept at all. I was just completely exhausted. I could have slept until I think noon today. And then you come in and tell me that you're you can barely keep your eyes open about oh, ten I'm minutes ha- ago. I'm having a hard time with it right now. <laughs> a couple of narcoleptics <laughs> over here. Uh, so, so if everything goes awry all at the same time, you know that we've both fallen asleep. Yeah. Well, have you ever 
Have you ever done that, Jerry, where you've come close to falling asleep or perhaps even fallen asleep at work? Not necessarily here. Of course, that would never no, happen never, here. No, never here. No, no. But yes, it has happened to me. Really? Yes. Uh, working uh, an, an early morning shift once because our computers at the station I was working at were something gone wrong with them. So I had to I had to actually work an overnight shift. And by the time the, the morning guy was coming in, I... Yeah, absolutely. I'd been falling asleep a couple of times throughout the night. Really? <laughs> oh, yeah. And you, you know, you hear a little bit of silence or something that wakes you up and you hit a button. <laughs> yeah, I uh, when I used to work the weekend morning shift here at CJOB, uh, this goes back, I guess, about 10 years. I did the weekend morning shift for two or three years. So the shift would start at 3 in the morning because the first newscast was at 5. So I'd be here from 3 a.m. until noon. And the the Saturday shift I always found a bit more difficult because I worked until 7 p.m. on the Friday. So it was almost impossible to go home and just, okay, I guess I'm going to bed now. So yeah. I'd stare at the, the ceiling for four hours, and then I'd maybe sleep for 30 minutes, and I'd get up and I'd come to work. And I would be reading newscasts, and during audio clips, I'd be falling asleep. <laughs> Sometimes I would fall asleep. You'd, I'd play a clip, and then the clip would stop, and then there'd just be that moment of, wake up, Brett, wake up, wake up. There's silence means it's your turn to talk. And then I'd, and then I'd just kind of try to stumble my way through the rest of the cast. Well, that, that's the thing with working in radio. Silence is the loudest, most deafening sound there is, and it wakes you up like that. Do you ever find when you're driving... If you're flipping through stations and you come across the state, and this often happens on like a Sunday evening, you're where you you land on a radio station that has nothing, <laughs> and then you stay there. I end up. I sometimes I'll just stay there because I I want to see how long is it going to be silent for. <laughs> Where'd the guy go? <laughs> Silence really does draw people in. So hopefully we won't have too much of that this morning. Well, we've been talking about it for a few days now. Severe cold weather has hit us here in Manitoba. But we're not the only ones in Canada feeling the chill. Here's Shadow Davis with more. Good morning. Feel that? That is the Canadian winter people. Bone chilling, biting wind coupled with temperatures below minus 25. (sighs) Makes you want to stay in bed, doesn't it? Come to think of it, you might have that option today, as most people have taken this week off work. And let's face facts. The timing couldn't be better. There's not much going on in the holiday dead zone, right? Staying in, waiting out the cold is just fine with many of us, especially after the Christmas scrambling and impending New Year's parties. Sure, we have the people that revel in this weather. The hardy types, the ice fishers, the sledders who laugh and pound their chests in the minus 30. Then you've got the tow truck drivers, mechanics, and cabbies who love this weather. Good for business. But for the rest of us, F that crap. You may have seen the headline in big, bold print from the National Post yesterday afternoon about Winnipeg being colder than the North Pole and Mars. Put together! All right, not the put together part, even though that's how they made it seem. And then in little italic print, 
Vancouver colder than Moscow, Toronto colder than alert Northwest Territories, and a piece of the country roughly the size of Europe under an extreme cold warning. You don't even see that part of the headline, really, but you sure have to listen to Dave Randorf calling the Jets game last night, talking about Winnipeg being colder than Mars. Dude, you live in Toronto where it's minus 30 and under an extreme cold warning right now, so get real. Calgary and Edmonton go unscathed again, even though it's minus 30 there right now, too. But Winnipeg gets the headline. Colder than Mars! Don't you think the bigger story would be Vancouver colder than Moscow? Because Vancouver doesn't get cold, so when they do, but nope, Winnipeg gets picked on yet again. Not that we're not used to it, by the way. All right, listen, first thing... The Mars rover that reported the temperature from Mars, that's only one tiny part of Mars. It could have been much colder on other parts of Mars, and we wouldn't know it. And secondly, we all have temperature readings in our cars by now, right? So even if the weather office suggested our high yesterday was only minus 22, my car said minus 17. And that's what I take as the temp wherever I happen to be. So whatever with this colder than Mars thing. And if it did happen, it was for an hour, maybe. Anyhow, is it cold? Yeah, that's not in dispute. But this whole coldest city thing can stop any time, if you ask me. In Ottawa, it was so cold they had to cancel a kid's hockey tournament on that new $5.6 million taxpayer-funded skating rink on Parliament Hill. Temperature there, minus 19. The windchill made it feel like minus 35. According to the Calgary Sun, the highs are colder than the average daily lows there right now. The Alberta Motor Association is reminding people to plug in their vehicles right now. Same thing in Edmonton. So never mind picking on Winnipeg. But I will tell you this. Of all the places I've lived in this country, there is no city that's able to handle it better, both the cold and the ribbing, than we do right here in Winnipeg. Back to Brett McGarry. Well said, Shadow Davis. I'm just looking at Environment Canada's website, their map of Canada. It is minus 31 in Saskatoon. It is minus 31 in Prince George, B.C., in Winnipeg. Outside, 680 CJOB, it's minus 19. Heck, in Toronto, it's minus 20. And Ottawa is minus 27 right now. And then looks like the coldest spot that I can see, at least at first glance, is Yellowknife. Minus 36 degrees. <laughs> it's you could say it's stone cold, stone cold. St- <laughs> you got any Steve Weisers in there, Jerry? Before we get ahead in this as well, Denise just sent us that text about, well, just take a peek at your tires for those who don't have tire sensors. Earlier today. And Clayman can attest to this. Chanelie Vidal asked us, do you guys know what uh, there's it, what it means when this symbol pops up on your dashboard? I can't even remember what it was. What, what, how? It was a dot with two arrows. Okay, and you figured it out. I figured it was tire pressure. So yeah. you have a tire sensor on uh, your uh, automobile. Apparently I do. And potentially a flat tire when you leave today. That as well. That's, that's not good. Sometimes it's it's low, though, and in unusually cold weather. I did work in tires way, way back when. Uh, but you will get a fluctuating with your uh, your tire pressure. So you might not have a flat. You just might need to give it a little bit of a, uh, a boost. That's all. It happened to me yesterday. Came out, and, you know, I was warming up my car. Yep. 
I got a million car stories. I could go on forever. Uh, I noticed that, what's going on here? I noticed one of my tires looked almost flat. And I ran it over, and I think you're right. I think this uh, this uh, severe cold is is playing havoc yeah. with with tires. Oh, yeah, sure. your tire pressure will definitely fluctuate uh, with the change in temperatures for sure. Yeah. If Jeff Braun were here, he'd say, "When did you work in tires when they were still made of stone?" Yeah, yeah. Back when they made oh. wagon <laughs> tires. There, see, Brauner, we're thinking of you. Yeah. You just made me think of Fred Flintstone's car. That's that's what I was going for, Clay. Listen, Barney Rubble. So with New Year's a few days away, you may be thinking about what you resolved to change in your life for 2018. So today we're having coffee talking New Year's resolutions. Do you make resolutions? If so, do you keep them? Yesterday we spoke with Dr. Joanne Unger from Clinic Psychology about this very subject, so we thought we would follow it up by discussing our own resolutions. We'll start with you, Shanalee Vidal. Do you... Are you? Do you make resolutions said New Year's? Well, I always have the best intentions to think about something great that I'm going to resolve. But of course, January is your grace period, you know, and then you got to get yourself ready in February. So by the time you start doing anything, you're you're already halfway through the year at least. <laughs> so, I'll do it next year. So right? my, yeah, exactly. So my 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 New Year's resolution, is, aside from the whole you know being a better person and all that kind of thing, it's it's to make it my to do list of things to get done because I'm like, oh, yeah, wouldn't it be great to have this done and that done? Then I realize, oh, why I didn't get done because I didn't do it. So, you know, for example, the whole thing about like, oh, putting aside some money with, you know, you just go online and you can uh, transfer some money automatically. So you don't even you don't even see it. So little things like that just make a big to do list of things to do and get them done for this year. So I have a year to get all sorts of work done. I like the idea of January being a grace period. So. Oh, it totally is a grace period. Yeah, like, yeah, totally. Behind the glass, Jerry. I don't make New Year's resolutions. I think it's just silly. If 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 I need to change something, I'll do it when I think of it. Not oh, I'll wait until New Year's yep. and then I'll make a change to that. No, throughout the year, if if I see things that need to be changed, that's when I'll change them. Well, do you? I wonder too. Do you, do a lot of people end up making New Year's resolutions because the New Year coincides with? Post Christmas, right? Like when you go into December, it's almost impossible, really, to think about. Oh, I'm going to lose weight, and you know what? I'm not going to lose weight. In not December. over yeah. Christmas. <laughs> December's when you gain the weight. So I can see in January you say, you know what? I need to lose some weight. But I wouldn't see that as a New Year's resolution. That's just a resolution because you know what? In the last month, I've I've gained a lot of weight. I need to lose that again. Yeah, Clayman, do you have any resolutions? Perhaps to. Uh, I don't know, get a new car. <laughs> well, <laughs> you just said you have a thousand well, car stories. No, you know, you, you, Mr. McGarry, uh-huh. and Jeff Braun uh-huh. are my heroes. Oh, wow. <laughs> said no one. Because they watch so much TV? No. Yeah. No, because I still smoke. Okay. Right? And I've tried repeatedly. But. Tried repeatedly what? To quit smoking. Oh, okay. Oh. Um, <laughs> So, I, you know, I don't want to beat myself up, but that is my number one goal. And then I look at you, and I look at Bronner, and you both quit. Mm-hmm. And I haven't seen you climbing the walls or anything. It's been uh, over a year now, 14 months for Yeah, me. yeah. Have, so you say you've tried. Right. What, what methods have you tried? Uh, I was on the medication, uh, you know, the one that gives you the weird dreams. Champix or Chantix or whatever yeah, they call it. Yeah, yeah. I didn't get any uh, weird dreams, but what I, and it seemed to be working. 
it, it seems to block that part of your brain that says, I need a smoke. Okay. So I'm going to do that. I'm going to go back to the gym. That always helps. Yeah. And, um, oh, I know what else. You're going to cheer for a real football team. Well, <laughs> I'm Clay's going. a Saskatchewan fan, by the way. Uh, go green. Uh, I'm going to, uh, <laughs> uh, the, the, I, the Manitoba division of the Canadian Cancer, they have a smoker's helpline. Yeah. So, and apparently it's 24-7. So it's sort of like the buddy system. Yeah. If you have this craving, you phone somebody there and they just calm you down. Hey, it'll pass. The urge will pass. And you just move on. Have you ever tried the uh, the nicotine patch? Uh, yeah, I did. And it didn't really seem to work for me. Oh, okay. Because I was going to say, if you want weird dreams, the patch, uh, that'll that'll help. That well, was... You see, I get I have weird <laughs> dreams, whether I'm normal or not normal. And and does, I have the weirdest dreams. When have you ever been normal? Uh, well, probably... I can't even think. <laughs> let's let's let Clay ponder that. Kelly Moore, do you make New Year's resolutions? I, I don't generally tend to make them, but I uh, speaking of tires, boy, I'll tell you, I have to go stand out in the cold and try to deflate this spare tire because uh, that's that's one of the things I, I absolutely have to make a mandate of is to to shed some pounds. Oh, yeah. So and and start with the spare tire. Okay. Yep. I thought you were talking about tires. tires. <laughs> <laughs> it took me a minute. No, I'm talking about this. this. Oh, no, I th- because we were talking about tires, yeah. and I'm going, what? I thought what? it was a nice segue. <laughs> you got a resolution to go <laughs> go fix all tires? Yeah, well, it's hard, and I think maybe that's one of the reasons why a lot of us have a hard time with New Year's resolutions is because we there's almost an expectation that if you're not or not an expectation, but if you're not making a resolution for New Year's, inevitably you get posed the question, so you make any resolutions for New Year's? And then you say, no, well, well why not? And uh, it becomes... Because I'm happy with my life. I don't need to change anything. Yeah, I don't need... If I, As Jerry pointed out, if I yeah. want to make a change, it doesn't have to happen on January 1st. And for those who have gym memberships, once upon a time I had a gym membership... And there was always that inevitable influx at the beginning of the year. And, hey, good for anybody who tries. At the very least, if you try to go to the gym, regardless of what the reason is, be it a New Year's resolution or because you happen to get a good a coupon in the mail, it doesn't matter. Yeah. If you're trying it, great. But inevitably, there's always that influx. And then it's almost very quickly followed by the disappearance of all those new people. I really love the advice of Joanne Unger, who you had on yesterday, and that is make an attainable resolution. And a lot of times that could be a stepping stone to get to where you eventually want to be. But, you know, as you achieve each success, it makes you feel a lot more committed towards getting to the big goal. 204-780-6868, that's the number that you can text us if you are making resolutions. What is your feedback on the subject of New Year's resolutions? 204-780-6868. Thanks to Shanley Vidal, Behind the Glass Jerry, Clay Young, and Kelly Moore. Brett McGarry of Mackling and McGarry, Shadow Davis Show on 680 CJOB. Greg Mackling makes his return in 2018. Small town salute. Excuse me. Brought to you by South Beach Casino and Resort, where service sets them apart. And typically what we do in the small town salute is we head to one particular small town, one particular area. Last week we visited Mississippi in Inglis. 
And before that, we've done Holiday Mountain. We'll go all over the place. Well, this week I thought I would do something just a, a little bit different, where I would combine my love of golf with the small town salute, because all of my favorite golf courses are outside the perimeter highway. How's that for perimeter itis? I thought, okay, do a top five, but it's kind of hard to pick just five. So I'll pick six. So we'll start with number six. We'll count them down to number one. For me, number six is Oak Island Resort. This is in the Verdon Oak Lake area, three hours west of Winnipeg. So it's not something that I do often. In fact, I've only been there twice in the last five years. But it's well worth a trip. Make a full weekend of it. They've got cabins there that you can rent. And as far as the golf course goes, it is very nicely groomed. And when you first get there, it's just this wide, stunning vista. It's nice and quiet. Tons of variety. It's a fun little course to ride if you get a golf cart. So, yeah, I love it out there. Oak Island Resort in the Verdon Oak Lake area. It brought me to my knees this year. I hope to one day revisit and hopefully seek my revenge, exact my revenge. Number five, Pinawa, just over an hour, slightly northeast of Winnipeg. This is a really serene golf course. They call it the course that nature built. It is lovely. Some nice holes that play along the creek. You see people sort of roll by on their tubes, just kind of lounging around. That's very nice. So I enjoy the trip out to Pinawa. I went out there. I think I played there three times this year. Bridges Golf Course comes in at number four. This is in Starbuck. And actually you zip through Oak Bluff to get there. It's just under 15 minutes outside the perimeter up Highway 2. At least the way that I go takes me just through Oak Bluff very briefly. And uh, Bridges, I, I actually played there a handful of times in September and October. Mostly October, actually. I, For whatever reason, I always end up playing Bridges Golf Course in the fall. It is a lovely golf course to play at any time, but I particularly enjoy it in the fall. Just nice sort of, there are some spots where they're wide open. It seems like it's a wide open surrounding, but you're really enclosed in these beautiful trees. So I do enjoy Bridges Golf Course. Number three would be Minnewasta in Morden. Maybe the most fun course to play that I have played. Lots of neat variety, lots of neat holes. There are a couple of ele- like very elevated holes. Par threes where you get to hit way down. That's the only course that I can think of where you really get to do that. And there's some there are a couple of nifty burger stands on the main drag as you either drive in or, or drive out. I always like to stop for a burger. On the way out, if I can, time permitting. Minnewasta, so that's, I guess, what is that, about an hour and a half, kind of south. Is it southwest? One time, <laughs> one time uh, I got in the car, and I, I was driving, and uh, my friend Mike was uh, navigating. Actually, I've had a couple of adventures trying to get out to Minnewasta, and both of them from guys named Mike. One of them, we were driving through Carmen, and we weren't, we were giggling about something, when we got to the main intersection in Carmen and instead of turning left where we should have turned, we kept going straight and we ended up in some 
quiet farm road. It was a nice drive. It was a lovely drive. You got to see all kinds of hills and stuff. You know, everything's so flat here. So anytime I see any hills, it's, ooh, neat hills. And we ended up 70 kilometers off course. <laughs> Still made our tea time. And then another time, picked up a friend in Crestview and... He said, okay, let's go up to uh, Centerport, Canada Way. And then eventually we got to the perimeter and I said, you know, we're, where are we going? You know, we're going southwest, right? So that also was about a 45-minute detour. Number two on my favorite golf courses, which all, once again, happen to be outside of Winnipeg. Number two is my home away from home. Kingswood Golf and Country Club in LaSalle. 10 minutes south of the perimeter, this particular golf course has tons of variety. I find that a lot of golf courses are really nice, but the holes kind of start to to blend together. Uh, But Kingswood has tons of variety. There's something for every skill set there. And if you like to to pull out the driver, there's all kinds of opportunities to do that at Kingswood. And uh, excellent cart service, friendly staff. All around, I really enjoy going to Kingswood, and they've done all kinds of renovations in the past year in their clubhouse, and they've uh, made some upgrades to their restaurant, and they've even got virtual golf there now, so if you wanted to go back out there, you could do that. And then finally, number one, Granite Hills in Lac du Bonnie. Quiet, scenic, multiple holes play on the lake. The third hole is modeled after, I believe it's the 18th hole at Pebble Beach. It's about an hour and a half from Winnipeg. This is a golf course that I would play a bit more often if it was just a little bit closer, but in a way that's that's almost a good thing that I only get to go there a couple of times because I cherish it that much more. Every time I go there, it is a real treat. It's a special place. So that's my hobby. That's what I love to do, golf. I've even... <laughs> <laughs> I've got the ad, the Golf Town uh, daily email, Boxing Week sales. I've been looking at that in between segments here, kind of deciding, trying to, I want to get some new clubs. So I'm trying to decide. So clearly I have golf on the brain now that Christmas is over. I'm starting to already think about the new season. So I thought I'd combine that with the small town salute. And that segment, by the way, is brought to you by South Beach Casino and Resort, where service sets them apart. Jerry, what the hell is this music that you're playing right now? It sounds dramatic. It's dramatic and golfy. <laughs> is that how you found it? You went to YouTube and typed in dramatic and golfy? No, this, is the, this is the sound I usually use when we talk about golf. I recognize this music. It's a theme... Maybe I recognize because you've played it before. That's probably it. So, we've got a couple of days now to digest Christmas. Did you like everything you got? Here's Shadow Davis. Good morning. So, Christmas is over for another year, and I have a question for you. Did you get everything you wanted? Okay, okay. Another question. Did you get anything you wanted? I can only speak for myself when I say I I didn't really ask for anything because, in all honesty, I don't know what I want. If I put you on the spot right now and said, here, here's 500 bucks, go buy something for yourself, would you know what it was you wanted to buy? Well, I'd say the vast majority of us at this point in our lives pretty much have what we need. So when it comes to buying presents for somebody else, what the hell are you supposed to do? 
I'm excluding charitable donations for this comment because, honestly, that's a different subject altogether, so no need to take offense. When I say the money we spend on presents at Christmas would be better spent on other things, yeah, sure, charitable contributions would be a very good choice. Ipsos did a poll exclusively for Global News and found more than half of the people surveyed, 52%, said they would like to give and receive fewer gifts during the holidays. 24% also said most of the gifts they get are useless junk. I'm going to come back to that one in just a second. 31% said they feel like they have to buy gifts for too many people, and about one quarter said gift giving in their family is out of control. And complete honesty here, I'm totally shocked those numbers aren't much, much higher. Let's just throw out a random number here, 500 bucks, let's say. Could you get a reasonable gift for all the people you have to buy for with $500? Well, I've got a dozen people to buy for, and one of those people gets more than one gift, not to mention stocking stuffers, so that'd be a tough thing to do. Also, all the people in that dozen are family and some are kids, which means I won't be getting anything back from them, which is fine. I don't expect anything from 10-year-old Audrey, except for maybe appreciating what she does get and not throwing it in the corner the second she opens it after I worked so hard to find it and spent a small fortune to buy it. But I digress. Getting back to the worthless junk thing. Lisa, I love her dearly. She's my girl and tries very hard with the Christmas and birthday gifts for that matter, but I think she tends to overthink things some. For example, this year, she got me a Star Trek Phaser Universal Remote Control. Do I like Star Trek? Sure, I've watched it in reruns since I was a little kid. I like them all. Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, Voyager. Make it so, number one. Do I run around the house on weekends with pointy plastic ears wearing a blue shirt with a shiny badge on it? No, I do not. Fascinating. Might I be embarrassed if friends came over and saw this thing sitting on our coffee table? Not until they start grinding me about it, which they would. <laughs> Will I ever figure out how to work it? Maybe, but it'll take some time that I could be spending doing something else that's actually constructive. So while I appreciate the efforts of my true love, I would like to lay down some new rules here. Starting next year, we buy only for the kids and one, one gift for the spouse and bank the rest. But good luck with that, right? Because somebody's going to get you something useless, so you'll feel obliged to get them something useless back and the vicious Christmas cycle starts all over again. As for me, I'll be spending January trying to figure out this new phaser remote because, to be honest, I haven't got the money to do much else. Back to Brett McGarry. I think that phaser remote sounds kind of cool. But <laughs> I will admit, I have never learned how to use a universal remote. I remember when I, the, the Shaw guy came over, I think he even said he, he could program the remote for me. And I said, no, I'd rather just use the four different remote controls I have on my table. I just, every remote is for a different thing, and I'd rather just keep it that way. I mean, I don't know. Am I lazy or neurotic? I'm going to go with both. One, two, three. Greg McGarry of Mackling and McGarry, Shadow Davis Show on 680 CJOB. Greg Mackling makes his return in 2018, making her return today after a well-deserved day off. Three things with Shannon Lee Vidal. Today, it's three unusual gifts received over the holiday season. Good morning, Shanalee. Good morning, Brett. Are these uh, all gifts that you received? 
<laughs> no, but I wouldn't have minded receiving some of them, especially this first one. Oh boy! Okay. Okay. So the okay. So here's a gift that the receiver might not have seen coming: okay. a pair of baby kangaroos. Oh. Yes, baby kangaroos, real ones. Do they so, box? Sorry, I'm <laughs> thinking of Looney Tunes. I think they're a little too young for that. Okay. Here's what okay country singer and American Idol judge Luke Bryan gave his wife. He posted a video on Instagram in which he blindfolds his wife. He tells her she's going to get these designer purses. And he, now here is her reaction when she removed the blindfold. Oh, my God! <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God! Hey, you're I would probably react the exact same way. So if you see the video, you can see, like, she opens her eyes and these, she looks in the bag and these two little kangaroos poke their heads out. It's pretty adorable. And uh, so he also posted a photo of the diaper-clad marsupials relaxing in front of the fireplace. But these kangaroos are actually special pets. I don't think they're going to be, like, necessarily hopping around the house as house pets. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're the latest addition to, you're going to like this, Brett's Barn. I like the sound of that. Yeah. I didn't know your house was a barn, Brett. Uh, some some days it, it very much <laughs> appears to be one, yes. So it's an initiative of the Brett Boyer Foundation, which the couple founded in honor of Boyer's infant niece who passed, passed away in early 2017. The couple is reportedly working with local charities to bring children there to bond with the animals in the barn. Now, in addition to those two cute kangaroos, the barn also includes some goats, a pig, and two mini horses. Now, the pig, you know what his name is? I don't know. Uh, Jonathan. Jimmy Dean. Every morning at the mine, you could see him arrive. He stood six foot six and weighed 245, kind of broad at the shoulder and narrow at the hip. And everybody knew you didn't give no lip to Big John. Jimmy Dean. Yeah. Isn't that like. Yes. Like this pork yes. sausage? Yes. <laughs> okay. All right. I thought you would appreciate that. <laughs> and well, now I'm kind of hungry. Uh, and oh, my apologies to my vegetarian and vegan friends on this panel. Um, but uh, so I, I, I trust that Jimmy Dean is not meant for I, the, I don't the think breakfast so. I think, table. I think they're just trying to be clever. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. What I'm trying to think of if somebody gave kangaroos are awesome, but if I was expecting designer bags and instead got two living, breathing creatures that are now entrusted into my care. Well, I think after the initial reaction, then it would be this this fear. What do, how do I take care of these things? Yeah. You know, but I guess obviously they, they, they this couple, they, they, they do this and they were probably thinking of adding kangaroos and probably, I assume they talked about it and, you know, but for somebody who is not prepared to take care of kangaroos, that would be uh, quite the gift. Now, it, in the in the uh, absence of the designer purses that she was expecting, yes. could she instead put her stuff in the pouches of the kangaroos? That's a very that's a very good question. Mm. Uh, I've heard their pouches are <laughs> a little gummy or a little uh, mucusy, so yeah. I don't know if they'd be good for carrying mm. around things. But okay. but that's that's not a bad suggestion. I did not think of that. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're right. I, I forgot about the. The, the, I think the so. lining. I don't know. Okay. okay. We... Ready for number two? Yep. Okay. Okay. Sylvester Stallone. He bought himself a late Christmas present. You know what he got himself? Himself. Oh, of course. <laughs> okay. So you know how there's that statue in, um, not Pittsburgh, uh, Philadelphia of Rocky, because yep. that's where the movie is based. One of my favorite all-time movies, by the way. So he got himself a statue of the, the of Rocky. 
Okay. <laughs> yeah, just like it's a replica of the one in Philly. And he paid over $400,000 for it. Now, two days ago, Stallone posted a picture on Instagram with him posing with the nine-foot-tall bronze sculpture along with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh. And then yesterday, Sly gave a late Christmas gift to fans where he posted the image of a movie poster for a sequel to the film Creed. Okay. That was, that was a very good film, and I know critics just love that. Yeah. And it uh, looks like it could be connected to Rocky Four. That's when uh, Rocky goes to Russia to face uh, Dolph Lundgren's Dolph Lundgren's character. Ivan Drago. It wasn't as good as the, the the first one, but it was still amusing. Especially his uh, his workout scenes where he's like lifting hay or lifting wheels to get in shape, and yeah. and you see the Russian guy doing all these actual exercises. Well, Ivan steroids. Yeah, that well, too. What do you mean actual exercises? Well, you know, he seemed like you know more steroids well, and more like just lifting things and well they and were trying gym. to show that they were trying to show the difference between the russian it was very mechanical yes, and he had it. no soul and it yes. was all everything was monitored and measured and he had electrodes stuck to his arms and stuff whereas rocky was very much down to earth he was was all heart and soul he was attached to the earth and uh, and all that crap That's a very he was good climbing analogy. climbing mountains and then eventually he solved the uh, he ended the cold war by uh, beating Ivan Drago in the ring, and all the Russian fans started to cheer for him. I may yes, have seen I, this yes, film. Yes, I remember that part. There is a hilarious article, and I need to find it. Uh, if, if somebody actually timed, did they? They calculated how much time of Rocky Four is spent on montages alone, mm-hmm. and I think it's more than half the film. I'll have to find the article. It's hilarious. Sh- uh, uh, please share that with me. And and also too, the speculation could uh, Ivan uh, Drago be making an appearance and. This Creed 2? Well, he is going to be in Creed 2. We just need to figure out how, in what context. Is it going to be like, you know, he's his protege is going to fight Creed? I don't know. Well, I, I, I hope it's him again because even though he plays a Russian oh, character, he know. is the Swede who will make you bleed. And uh, Creed is going to be up to his uh, neck in problems if he takes on Ivan Drago. Oh, that makes me nervous. I, I, you know what, for Creed's... Uh, for Creed's uh, case, I hope it does not happen. Okay, what's the third okay, thing? Okay, number three. It's not really, it's not really a, a a a gift, not a, not a material gift, but a more a, a special gesture for welcoming a new family member. Now, in Britain, the royal family attended all their uh, church services on Christmas, followed by their private royal family only lunch. Okay. And now this Christmas actually is the first Christmas the family was joined by Meghan Markle. Of course, that is the fiance for Prince Harry. They're going to get married in Windsor Castle in May. Now, traditionally, non royals are not allowed to attend these gatherings. You have to be like a member of the royal family. You can't be like a royal member, family member in waiting. Oh. And so it looks like the queen is giving the best gift of all by embracing change and by inviting Meghan to join the family a little bit early. And in the queen's uh, brief holiday message that was uh, broadcast, she said, the royal family looks forward to welcoming new members into it next year. Well... That's very nice. Yeah, very I, lovely. I, I saw that there is, uh, I see there's some controversy, some consternation, because Harry said that uh, the royals will be the family that Meghan never had, but Meghan Markle's Ooh. sister is responding, and she's up in arms. Oh, that is a very controversial statement indeed. Yeah, so, I don't know. Drama! Technically, I mean, the royals would be the family that anybody That's, never oh, had, right? I was right? just going to say, you know. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be kind of neat to, to be absorbed into the royal family. So, 
Yeah. I wouldn't I mind marrying a prince. Hopefully your boyfriend's not listening to that. <laughs> Imagine finding out your lifelong friend, whom you consider to be family, actually is family. Shadow Davis explains. Good morning. Here's a great story about finding family out of Hawaii from the Associated Press. And I always find these things very interesting because I was adopted and I've never met any blood relatives so far in my life. But for anybody in the same boat as me, wouldn't it be cool to discover somebody you've known your entire life is actually related? Like, wouldn't that be weird? Like a brother, sister, aunt, uncle, mother, father, like maybe your school teacher was your mother. Wouldn't that be strange? I often wonder about things like that when I see people with similar features or mannerisms that I have. Anyhow, Alan Robinson and Walter McFarlane have been friends for a very long time. How long again, guys? High school? Back in 6th grade. 6th grade? Okay, okay, since 6th grade. They're 15 months apart in age. They played football together. They did all the things that best friends do. McFarlane never knew his father and Robinson was adopted, so they started a quest a few years back to look for family, but they started separately from one another, so they never knew the other one was looking. McFarlane started hitting some of those DNA matching websites like Ancestry.com after looking online without much success. So when you go on one of those DNA matching websites, first thing you do is input your DNA and then it starts spitting out possible matches. And depending on whether anybody's looking for you and other people with similar DNA, you might wind up getting quite a few matches, some not exactly precise, but then again, some could be very close. So McFarland's daughter Cindy started looking into these matches that came back and found one with almost identical X chromosomes that had the online name Robbie737. Well, Robinson's nickname is Robbie, not a big stretch there, and he used to fly 737 jets for Aloha Airlines. It just so happened that Robinson was using the same website as McFarland to find answers about his family, and it turned out they have the same birth mother. How do you guys feel about that? Yeah, it was a shock. Yeah, definitely a shock. But then when he thought about it, compared forearms and everything. Hairy arms, that that did it. (laughs) (laughs) A shock? Okay, never mind the hairy arms for just a second. If you see a picture of these guys sitting side by side, you can see one right now on globalnews.ca. You can see an instant resemblance. So how could you be friends for 60 years and not think something was just a little bit hinky? What does that mean, Vicks? Hinky. Oh, strange. Weird. Well, say strange or weird. I mean, hinky, that has no meaning. Well, we say hinky. Yeah, big dog, hinky. Then again, when you're that close to it, I suppose it could just kind of slip by you because you're not thinking that way. But I'll bet they had a lot of strangers over the years ask if they were brothers, to which they probably said, No, what are you kidding? Happens to my son and I all the time. We don't notice, but other people are all over it. Oh my God, you guys look so much alike. Anyhow. They revealed their relationship to friends and family during a party on Saturday night. Robinson said it was an overwhelming experience. It's still overwhelming. I don't know how long it's going to take me to get over this feeling. It's fantastic. This is the best Christmas present I could ever imagine having. And it didn't cost a dime. Well, except for the $300 for DNA website membership, which comes with a sample kit. They plan to enjoy their retirement together, do some traveling, play some golf, give each other some noogies. You know brother's stuff. Back to Brett McGarry. Thanks for finding that story, Shadow. That's really heartwarming stuff. 
Although I wonder if now that they found out they're brothers, if they have to catch up on all the years that they should have spent beating each other up as children. Are you looking forward to dressing up for New Year's Eve? For some, it is a time-honored tradition. The RBC Convention Center has the perfect event for you to don your fancy attire. Winter's Eve, a New Year's celebration, will see the City View Room transformed into a festive wonderland with a little winter carnival flair that includes dinner and dancing. To tell us more, we are joined by Klaus Lahr, President and CEO of the RBC Convention Centre, and Carmen Pepler, Director of Operations, Event Services and Food and Beverage for RBC Convention Centre. Klaus, Carmen, welcome this morning. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you very Thank you. much for joining us. So I guess, Carmen, we'll start with you, uh, because Klaus described you to me as the, the matron of this event. This is your brainchild? This is, uh, it's, it's my honor to, to be part of this event. We have a team that puts this together, but uh, I joined the Convention Centre two years ago, and, and at the same time, we were able to move this event into the new City View Ballroom. So it was a chance to take a fresh look at it, uh, put a fresh theme to it. And uh, so last year we did a Winter's Eve, and we've decided to maintain that title, um, but add the Carnival Flair this year. So, Klaus, for those who are maybe aren't familiar with the the upgraded convention center or haven't been yet, what is the this City View Ballroom? Well, the City View Ballroom is the is the space that you drive under when you come down York Street. You head east on York. You'll see the big windows of 300 feet by 50 feet high, and you see it facing. You can kind of see through the space. That's why it's called City View Ballroom. Uh, it is right above the street of York Street, and uh, it's a fantastic, huge, high ceiling uh, space with a wonderful prairie sky type of uh, treatment on the ceiling. Um, and it's the brand new space that we have, yes. So, Winter's Eve, I understand that this is uh, there. You can take part in either the whole thing or you can take part in part of it. So it starts for those who want to come in right from the beginning. Uh, Carmen, it begins, I think, at uh, 6 p.m. You get a five-course meal? Yeah, so at 6 p.m. we have the opening reception where there's complimentary hors d'oeuvres, the bar is open, we have a performance piece, um, the uh, the midway will be open with um, a surprise ride and games, um, and then at dinner time at 7.15 we start the five-course meal. Um, there's also entertainment portions to that. Um, I want to leave some surprises for the evening, but uh, some very big excitement um, and then it's all topped off with dancing on Winnipeg's largest dance floor um, to Ron Paley and his 21-piece band. Now, Klaus, I know for some, I mean, and I, I, I don't know if this is just a Winnipeg thing because, you know, we Winnipeggers take pride in being thrifty, but I know for me, when I, the first, my reaction when I saw the price tag was, whoa, that's my initial reaction until I started to look at everything that you get with this. And then when I see the price tag of $140 per person, it's actually kind of a bargain when you look at everything that is included in this. I think it is. It, 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 it's a little bit of a, when you, if you're not used to an event of that quality and of that uh, category and, and, and size and, and, and profile, it seems like a lot. But I think you, dollar for dollar, you get, you pay less than it costs, let's put it that way. The convention center looks at this as an as a marketing uh, uh, tool and a showcase. Uh, we like to show the public 
what we can do and what what we're able to do. Therefore, we've always looked at the New Year's Eve event as a break-even event. We make no money on it. So you you, you definitely are getting, uh, you're getting value for money, uh, even though you seem to be paying a lot, but you're getting a lot. And just uh, as I mentioned, it's $140 per person. If you get a table of eight or more, uh, then it's $130 per person. And all tables purchased include two bottles of complimentary wine. As mentioned, there's the the five-course meal. And here's something that's also, I think, important, definitely important to mention, Carmen, uh, that's, uh, that you've got here, guaranteed parking. Guaranteed parking. So um, downtown Winnipeg can be a busy place on New Year's Eve, uh, but if you do choose to uh, to drive that night, we can reserve a parking space for you in advance uh, so you don't have to worry about it. Um, you also mentioned uh, we, we have some other options too. If you decide not to drive, we have a special rate at the Delta Hotel, which is connected to, to us. Um, of $125 a night. So when you book, we can give you the uh, the access to that as well. What time does the party end? Party goes till 2 a.m. Okay. So we will dance until, uh, definitely until the new year. The reason I bring that up is if you don't make it until the end of the night, uh, there is transit as well as they're offering free rides. I would imagine too, the convention center typically has a lineup of taxis. I know New Year's Eve can be tough, but I would think there'd be cabs outside. No. Oh yes, Absolutely. the uh, the hospitality uh, driveway is as very is lined with taxis. Not only that, the uh, free ride bus service stops in the very in the close vicinity as well. Can we talk so, a little bit about the food? That I'm, I'm looking at this menu of the the five course menu, and I'm really sad that you didn't bring any samples for me. <laughs> uh, but uh, can we talk about some of the stuff that's on here? Yeah, this is an opportunity for our chef to have some fun. Um, as I was uh, alluding before we got on air, that this is the event that we get to do for ourselves. So with our vision and, and the chef's vision. Um, so at, it's a five-course meal. The entire menu is available on our website at wcc.mb.ca. You can also book tickets there. Um, so we're starting with a candied apple and acorn squash bisque. Then we move to a rocket greens and a cucumber ribbon on a carpaccio of roasted red beets. Um, with an orange ginger vinaigrette. We have a palate cleanser of a raspberry sorbet and a tulip shell. And then our main course this year is a dry rub roasted filet of beef, cinnamon Madeira wine sauce dressed with an onion ring. Um, we do also, I just want to mention, um, we can handle any kind of dietary restrictions. If you have a vegetarian needs or vegan needs or, or anything that, like that, we can do that for you, no problem. You just um, let us know when you book your tickets and we can accommodate. And then we like to um, we have a big, beautiful dessert uh, demonstration, and uh, that'll be a triple chocolate mousse Charlotte dressed with cinnamon dusted churros and a shard of praline. So, man, that sounds good. Uh, I can't imagine anybody not wanting to take part in the dinner. But in the event that maybe you've got dinner plans already, but you still want to uh, attend this event. You can do so, right? You can do so. Um, and these uh, we have dance-only tickets available. So join us anytime after 9 o'clock. You can buy tickets online at wcc.mb.ca um, or at the door for the dance-only. And they're $60 a person. Okay. So you'll get a you'll still get the gift that everybody else gets when they enter. You get entered into the contesting as well because we have door prizes. Um, and one major part I want to mention is part of the midway when you play the games and you ride the rides, um, you are helping support Silo Mission because all the proceeds from that go to Silo Mission. Oh yes, that's right. I'm glad you mentioned that. I had that in my notes here, and uh, I was 
definitely going to forget about that. Klaus, in the last 60 seconds that we have left here, I guess I've been to the the, the upgraded convention center. It's quite spectacular, but I'll let you give the, the final sales pitch here for Winter's Eve, a New Year's celebration. Well, it's definitely the party of uh, in Winnipeg uh, to go to. Number in 1996, we were lucky enough to put Ron Paley and his band in, under contract, and we have had uh, Ron Paley for this event under contract since 1996. And for those of you that know Ron Paley's band, it never is the same from year to year. His some of his professional musicians come and go, and it is constantly changing. Uh, a band and and the musical offerings. In fact, uh, one of our customers a few years ago uh, said to me, uh, "You know, if you close your eyes and you listen to the music, you it, it even sounds better the way he plays it than the the original songs at times." So, uh, listen to Ron Paley is definitely a treat. Uh, having an opportunity to dance the night away on Winnipeg's largest dance floor. Uh, is is uh, is a treat for those people that like to dance, uh, especially ballroom dancing as well as modern uh, mu- uh, dancing to modern uh, tunes. So it 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 is a wonderful place. It's a wonderful event and a place to go. Winter's Eve, a New Year's celebration happening at the RBC Convention Center. We've been speaking with Klaus Lahr, who is president and CEO of the RBC Convention Center, and Carmen Pepler, Director of Operations, Event Services, and Food and Beverage for RBC Convention Center. You can go to wcc.mb.ca for tickets. Again, tickets are $140 per person. Unless you want to just go to the dance part after 9 o'clock, then it's $60 per person, and there is guaranteed parking if you are going to drive. Special rates at the Delta as well if you'd rather spend the night. Klaus and Carmen, thank you so much for joining us today on 680 CJOB. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Nearly 9 in 10 Canadians believe more needs to be done to improve literacy rates. That is according to a new environic survey commissioned by Frontier College. Study also finds most people agree that strong literacy skills are essential to an individual's quality of life. So we have invited Stephen Fall, president and CEO of Frontier College, to tell us more about this survey and how we can instill a love of reading in young people joins us now on 680 CJOB. Mr. Fall, good morning to you, sir. Good morning. How are you today? I'm doing all right. How are you? Just excellent. Thank you. So your release that you have sent us, it says, this holiday season there is no better gift than the love of reading. Why do you think that? Oh, I don't think anything could be closer to the truth than than instilling a love of reading in your kids is a wonderful thing to give them. And there's lots of reasons, but one of which is, first of all, you open the world of literacy and literature to your kids. And we know that the love of reading is a really good predictor of future success in life. So if you're interested and you all want to do what's right for kids and make them happy and healthy and give them a great future, a love of reading is a really good place to start. Now, nearly 9 in 10 Canadians, according to this survey that you've commissioned, believe more needs to be done to improve literacy rates. So how do we do that? Well, you know, it's a complicated issue. One of the first things I suggest is that we, we want to engage kids when they're young and make learning fun and try to get them interested in reading. 
We can also do it at a, a higher level, at a national level, by um, encouraging governments to put literacy on the agenda. And, you know, we know that literacy is connected to a lot of other things. Just as an example, poverty. The survey showed that uh, almost 90% of Canadians, or are, I guess uh, three-quarters of Canadians, get the connection between literacy and poverty. Yet, a lot of poverty reduction strategies don't include literacy. So there's things we can do all the way from uh, helping teach our kids to read to um, trying to get it more on the on the national agenda. Are there any side effects, negative side effects of uh, poor literacy skills? You know, there are lots, and some of them are more obvious than others. For example, it makes pretty good sense that if you have low literacy, you're going to have trouble getting a, a good, a high-paying job. And, of course, the connection to poverty is there. But one of the things we asked about in the survey was, what do you think, the, or is there a connection between literacy and physical health? And only 40% of Canadians thought there was. But there is absolutely a significant connection. I could, I could tell you about that if you want. I would like to know more on that. Yes, please. So there's about a one and a half to three times greater likelihood that you'll have a poor health outcome if you have a low level of literacy. And it may not seem obvious at first, but think about how the ways, all the ways we interact with the, um, the medical system, the healthcare system. A lot of it is based on information we're given that we're required to read. For example, even something simple like getting a prescription, you get a couple of pages of info and it says, well, uh, take it on a full stomach or take it with food or take it when you're after two hours after you've eaten. So that's kind of a small thing, but kind of important. But it also says, well, don't take it if this happens or if these situations occur or if you have a history of this. So that's some important information that might be missed. But think about the last time you may have gone to the hospital for a test. Well, what do you get ahead of time? You get, you know, a couple of pages of written directions. Well, you know, you need to fast for a certain amount of time beforehand, or you need to um, pay attention to this condition or that. I'll tell you a quick story. A couple of years ago, I had a family member going through a, a chemotherapy, and that's, you know, that's a big deal. And happily, it had a very good conclusion, I'm, I'm delighted to say. But there's a lot of stuff, a lot of information you get with that, and pages and pages of it. And some of it was easier to understand than others. And there are some very important junctures along that treatment. And we had a situation where there was a series of symptoms and then we were reading this information and it said, okay, well, if you have this, this, and your temperature is this, and we looked at it and said, oh, gee, we need to get to the ER right away. And we did. And as I said, happy conclusion. But I asked myself, what would have happened if we weren't able to read all of that? Very different potential outcome. So it's easy for us then I think as educated people to say, yep, we got to fix this problem. But for many, though, uh, for those who do experience this problem, maybe they don't necessarily have the means to achieve that end. So how can we help in that kind of a situation? Well, that's where Frontier College comes in. We started in 1899 on the very simple premise that literacy is a right and anywhere can be a learning place. And we have about 2,500 partners throughout the country. And what we do is uh, we work with school boards, we work with libraries, we work with community centers. And quite often what happens is that someone with low literacy goes to one of these organizations, a school or a library. They're trying to connect to a program. And we offer free programming throughout the country in cooperation with all of these partners. Last year, we connected with about 30,000 learners. And that's, it, it may sound like a lot, but of course, that's sort of just, just scratching the surface. 
But community, there's community-based programs, whether they're Frontier College or somewhere else uh, throughout the country. And a, a good place to start is, is to think, okay, well, if, if you know someone who's struggling with literacy, uh, if they're in a school, a good place to start is to talk to the school, talk to the teacher. They may be aware of something. Libraries are another good source of, of information along with the community centers. Just looking at the release here, there are some some cool tips here on actually on, on ways that you can get your kids to read in a way that they might not even realize you're getting them to read to you. Oh, you're, you, you've hit it right there. You need to make it fun. And think about, you know, anyone wants to do something that's fun more than they want to do something that uh, that is is uh, not interesting to them. So find find what's interesting to, let's say it's your kids. What are they interested in? Uh, for me, years ago, it was astronomy. So I would have read anything about space. Or maybe it's hockey, or maybe it's theater, or maybe it's music. But find an interest and help connect them with it. And get, get them to read aloud magazines or flyers, newspaper articles. Uh, you know, we probably all just received holiday cards, or some of us received holiday cards in the mail. Have your kids read the cards aloud. Uh, maybe you're planning a New Year's Eve party, and there's all sorts of recipes you're working on. Help get the kids to help you bake and read read out the directions and measure things because numeracy is a big part of it. And maybe you've got to double the recipe so they can help you figure that out. Or maybe you're taking a road trip. Let's say you're going to go see uh, relatives over over the holiday break and help them plot, have your kids um, plot a course or the, the directions and have them read road signs. There's all sorts of things you can do, but it, it does, it should be fun should be connected to something they're interested in as a starting point. But get people, get young kids interested in reading and make it fun. It'll come alive and it'll set them up on a really good path. Stephen Fall is president and CEO of Frontier College. How early should we be reading to our kids? I'm not a parent, so I don't know any of that stuff. Is that something that we should be doing right uh, pretty much from the word go? Well, I wouldn't want to claim to be an expert on this part of it, but I don't see any reason why you wouldn't start as early as possible. The, the, the listening to sounds and sounding out words, in my view, the earlier is always the better. Okay. And uh, while I have you here, tell, why don't you tell us a little bit more about Frontier College and everything that uh, you folks do? Well, as I say, we started a long time ago, more than 100 years ago, and we offer programming throughout the country in association with a number of partners. We will help young people who are struggling with learning. We help school kids. We have programs that are for, uh, you know, homework clubs, after school programs. We have some programs for people who have some sort of learning challenge. And we have programs for adults. Sometimes uh, there are people who are new to the country and need to learn English or French. And sometimes they've gone through um, many years of school, but for one reason or another, they they still struggle with literacy. So our role really, um, although we we certainly like to talk about putting literacy on the national agenda, we're all for that. Most of our time is really spent in programming and helping people learn to read. Based on the survey that you commissioned from Environics, uh, are you optimistic for the future when it comes to literacy in this country? Absolutely. I think the survey shows that people care deeply about literacy. And I think we kind of knew that, but it's always nice to have the data to show it. 
So uh, as you, I think you mentioned close to the top of our chat, 90% of Canadians agree that improving literacy rates will improve everyone's quality of life. And we know that. We know it at Frontier College. One of our larger corporate funders is TD Economics. And TD Economics has said, if you really want to elevate everyone's standard of living, pay attention to literacy. And we also know that about uh, almost 9 out of 10 Canadians think that more should be done to improve literacy. And in our view, that's helping to put it on the national agenda and help funding community-based programs throughout the country because that's really where the action is, in communities, in locations that people can access easily. And we pay very close attention to people's goals in learning. And so I guess getting back to your question, though, yeah, we're optimistic. It's... it's uh, We think the future is going to be great. Stephen Fall, President and CEO of Frontier College, thank you so much for joining us this morning on 680 CJOB. My pleasure. I hope you have a great uh, rest of your holiday. You too, sir. Thank you so much. And Happy New Year to you. Once again, the survey commissioned by Frontier College from Environics. The survey says that nine in ten Canadians believe more needs to nearly nine in ten Canadians believe more needs to be done to improve literacy rates in this country. I'm Brett McGarry, thanking behind the glass Jerry, Shanley Vidal. Greg Mackling returning in 2018 on the Shadow Davis Show on 680 CJOB. The Start On Demand is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.